0: So, hey, we've been in uh, the book of Nehemiah for the last two weeks. This is our third week. And so what I want you to do is if you have your Bible or if you have your iPhone with a Bible app on it, go ahead and pull that thing out, turn to the book of Nehemiah. And we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 3 today. All right, Nehemiah chapter 3. I want to ask you a question as we start off today. Have you ever in your life, and some of you are gonna roll your eyes right now, but have you ever in your life been involved in a group project? All right. A group project. Kids, students, you're about to go back to school. You know that there's going to be some group projects coming up and you probably hate them, all right? Every single time they come up, they're just not fun, especially for the smart ones, okay? Like, you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Because you know like you're the straight A student and then you have like the C's and D's and like the people who don't really care like students that are in your group now and you're like, "Great." awesome. So now I have to do everything while they do absolutely nothing. Or maybe you're one of those other people on the other end of that, and you're like, group projects, yay. Like, I don't have to do anything. This is wonderful, right? you might be on one spectrum of those but listen group projects usually uh, people roll their eyes at them because it's like man I'd much rather just do this by myself right I'd much rather have a little bit less work and just get it done on my own because I don't really trust anybody else right how many of y'all just let be honest with me how many of you have a trust problem with other people like you don't like having other people help you with things I'd rather just do it myself I'm not a delegator I'm just gonna get it done and you're more of a doer right but there's some people that are really good at that but but listen, here's the deal, Um, group projects are not just to help you get something done, but it's actually to teach you how to collaborate with other people. That's the whole point of the group project. It's not necessarily just to learn something and to get it done, but you're actually learning how to work with one another. How to balance different personalities and different people and learn to work together. Maybe even if you would never be friends outside of this project, you're going to have to learn how to make this thing work, right? Because how many of you know that's how real life is, okay? Like you can't just have your little close friends where everybody thinks the same and you're in your little bubble all the time. right? That's not how life works. But here's the deal. We, We went through Nehemiah 1 and 2. And it, I just referenced it earlier, but Nehemiah 1, uh, he wants to go back. He's in Babylon. The, the, the Jews are in captivity in Babylon. And he wants to go back and bring like this last group of people to go rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, the main wall that they needed to. And there's a few different ones that they rebuilt. We're not going to get into that necessarily. But he goes and uh, he fasts and he prays. That's the first thing he did. And actually he fasted and prayed for anywhere from three to four months is what the Bible says. If you know kind of the calendar and the dates, you'll be able to figure that out. It was a long time that he fasted and prayed before he went to the king and said, hey, king, uh, this is my plan I really want to go back to my, my home people and, and, and rebuild this wall because my people are in peril and they're in disgrace right now. Because it was not, especially in ancient times, if you didn't have a wall around your city, it was bad for protection. But it was also kind of a disgrace to the people that lived there. And so he wanted to honor God in that way and go rebuild the wall of God's holy city. So he asked the king to go. He formulates this plan. And then last week we talked about how he had to formulate the plan, but he did it in secret. He did it in private. He didn't just go out and tell everybody his plan because how many of you know, sometimes you start telling people that you're a little bit too early and then the world now has an opinion about your plan. When it's not their plan, it's God's plan, right? Like, or, or maybe you have like a well-meaning individual who wants to give you some advice, but really actually what they're doing is they're not understanding, they're actually speaking the words of the devil to you, right? They don't understand it, but they're trying to discourage you from doing something that God told you to do. They might be really well-meaning in doing it, but if you start telling everybody God's plans for your life too early, there might be a problem. So Nehemiah keeps it between himself and God and then some trusted individuals. And then... He slowly starts to expand it, and then he finally gets up and says, hey, everybody, now it's time to get to work. All right, now it's time. We're going to rebuild this wall. Here's the plan. He tells all the people, and this is where we pick it up in Nehemiah chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 1, and uh, there's a lot of names in here that I might butcher a couple of them. Uh, So, you know, if, if you're fluent in these languages, I'm so sorry. But anyway, here we go. So, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the tower of the hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the tower of Hanano. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakurah son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Meremoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshullam, son of uh, Berachiah, son of Meshullam, uh, yeah, Meshezebel there it is. Made repairs, and next to him, Zadok, son of Banna, also made repairs. I knew I couldn't get through that. There was no way that was going to happen successfully. So I almost made it, right? Anyway, so here's the deal: the entirety of this chapter, we're not going to read the whole chapter, and I'm not even going to put it on the screens because the whole chapter is just this. Okay. It's just a list of the people who rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. The whole thing, that's all it is. You can look through it yourself if you want to. And you constantly see this phrase. You've already seen it just in this little section that we've shown you. You see, next to him, they built this part. And then next to him, this man and his family built this part. Next to him, they built this. And next to him, they built built this. And they rebuild this wall in 52 days. And it was amazing how fast it was completed. And it actually, you'll see it in the next chapter, early in chapter four, I believe, is where it says that the people all around were afraid because they knew that God had been helping them. There was no way it was possible without the community that they had with one another, without God on their side. This chapter shows what community can accomplish, when we work together toward a God-given goal, how many of you believe that we can do the impossible? Amen? Like spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, Jesus-loving, church-going people. Like when we work together, we can do anything when God is on our side. Amen? Come on, say amen like you mean it. That's what I'm talking about. Come on. So my first point today, I only got two for you, is you can't build community without unity. You can't spell it either without unity. Maybe you've seen this before, but in medieval times, or, you know, maybe you watch some kind of show or Lord of the Rings or one of those kinds of things. They have sometimes this formation that they do called the tortoise formation. You ever seen this before? It's basically a formation where they would take all of the shields and they would one guy would stand and next to him, another guy would stand with his shield up. And next to him, another guy would stand with his shield up. And then they would start, depending on how wide they go, but then as they go back they put the shield above their head and then next to him, he puts it above his head. And then you go all the way to the back and then there's guys on the sides that are holding their shields up. It's this massive, it looks like a little turtle like formation and they would just slowly move forward and they would take steps in unison and they would go together and it would protect them from projectiles that were coming, arrows, flaming darts, whatever, all kinds of things that they would throw at them, uh, all kinds of stuff. And it was fairly effective. They moved really slow, moved really, really slow But most of them stayed alive, which is, of course, the key if you're in battle, (laughs) amen? So come on. Uh, They had the tortoise formation. And actually, Ecclesiastes 4.12 is a verse that shows a little bit about why that was effective. It says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. And there's another African proverb that says this, and I really enjoy this one. If you want to go fast go alone. If you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, you got to go together with somebody else in your life. So recently, uh, my wife and I and uh, my son and daughter we took our first family trip, okay? Uh, How many of you know that a family trip with a three-month-old and a three-year-old sometimes not gonna be the ideal setup, okay? Not the ideal situation. And so we went, and normally, I, I remember before we had kids, right? Going on a trip in the car, not a big deal, okay? It was not a problem whatsoever. When it was just me and Lindsay, we would go to Oklahoma to go visit some friends. I worked in Oklahoma for five years from Kyle, but worked in Oklahoma for a while. And that's where we kind of started our life together. So when we would go to Oklahoma, just me and Lindsey, or even by myself, actually, let's say just by myself, I could do it in seven hours in one day. Pretty easy, right? Not a big deal. Like you get to Oklahoma City. I just plow right through, you know, get some food, just go through the drive-through. I wouldn't even stop. You know, I got a Red Bull and I got a cheeseburger and I'm good. Like, let's go, you know? Uh, but then you add Lindsey into the situation, okay, and it takes about eight hours now, okay? And all the women, you know exactly why that is, okay? Because now we gotta stop at every Bucky's, because I gotta go to the bathroom, we gotta go to the restroom, and then we gotta get some snacks, we gotta get a drink, we gotta like just stretch my legs, you know what I mean? I'm like, okay, let's go! Like, you know, the men in the room, they just kinda wanna get places. I go to A to B, you know, just get there. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe it's the opposite for you, but you know, that's how it is for us. But then you add a three-year-old and a three-month-old, and that seven-hour trip, maybe an eight-hour trip with me and Lindsay, has now turned into an 11 to 12-hour two-day excursion, all right? It is a long time for us to get to Oklahoma now. And I was just like, oh my goodness, this is taking forever. It is so, so difficult. Here's the deal. If I wanted to go fast... I would have just gone by myself, all right? Because if you take a bunch of people with you on a road trip, it's not going to be very quick. It's going to take a while. But if I wanted to actually enjoy that trip with my family, if I wanted to have fun with my kids and and not just be lonely and be by myself on this trip for four or five days, I'm going to have to take my family with me. Is that going to slow us down? Is it going to take a little bit longer maybe? Absolutely, it's going to take longer. But listen, I'd much rather have my family with me and enjoy that trip rather than just go fast and go by myself and not enjoy myself. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says this. It says, two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Some of y'all have probably felt like that in your life before. You're just like, man, I'm by myself. I'm kind of running this life by myself right now. I don't really have a lot of friends. I don't really have a lot of people that can lift me up. And and you feel that way, maybe even about yourself. Like you're kind of pitying yourself because I'm in a really dark place right now and I feel like I have no one to go to. The Bible says... Man, that's an awful place to be, right? And that's just a part of our human experience that sometimes we're lonely and we don't have people around us. So the Bible uh, kind of goes with this African proverb as well. Like, if you, listen, you want to go far together. I don't wanna just go by myself, but I wanna go far with other people. I don't wanna defend myself by myself, but I wanna have somebody next to me. And I want to have somebody next to him and somebody behind me and somebody to the side of me. And we have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit on our side, but we also have each other, amen? We have to lift one another up. That's what being a Christian is all about. That's what going to church is all about, is lifting one another up. And, and, and I'm going to help you and I'm going to try to equip you the best way that I can so that when we go out of these four walls, we go out of this place that we're in, wherever it is that we're meeting, right? We go into the real world. We go back to school or wherever you go that you're going to have these people in this room that are going to be on your side and you know that you have people to call whenever you're going through a hard time. That's what church should be about. So listen, you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, you got to go together. You want to go fast and far, go together and go with God. Amen? Because you can do both. And we see it right here in the book of Nehemiah. They went fast and they went far. Like they worked real quick and they got a lot done. And it was not slowed down. It wasn't a group project where everybody was like, oh, no, like so-and-so over here doesn't know what he's doing. So-and-so over here doesn't know what he's doing. No, they were all in unity together. Life is meant to be done in community. So what does that mean? It requires that you actually stand next to somebody. You can't just ask everybody to stand next to you when you're going through a hard time. But you have to be somebody that say, I'm going to stand next to you when you're going through a hard time. I have to be willing to do that and be willing to get into community. Is it going to be messy sometimes? Yes. Why? Because we're human. We're people. And I think a lot of the times that people talk about church hurt and stuff, and there is some real stuff out there. But a lot of the times I hear people talk about that, and it's like, well, what were you doing to actually get involved in the community? Like, well, I just came on Sunday mornings, and I was usually 15 minutes late, and then I left 10 minutes early, and but, like no one ever reached out to me. And it's like, well, of course, no one knows you. You're not doing the effort to actually make an effort yourself either. And so listen, this is the thing is you want people to reach out to you, but you're not willing to put in the work yourself. Listen, I think what would happen if all of us just inwardly decided to change us first? And then that's when we would find true Christian community. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to come down hard on anybody, but what I'm saying is is you have to be willing to take the first step of community. You can't always wait for other people to do it for you. So that's why we go to church. That's why we get involved. That's why we get in groups. Listen, we got to live life together. We got to spend time together. We got to read the Bible together. We got to go to lunch after church together and somebody said amen. Come on, that is the best lunch that you ever have. And then you get that nap afterwards. "Mm, That's what I'm talking about. You got to lift one another up. That's what it's about, all right? So that's the first point. Community builds. Or you have to have unity for community. So the next thing is community above class. Community above class. I'm going to explain what that means. Um, speaking of students, right, we're just on this, you know, we're just going to roll with this today. All right? Why, not, why don't we do that? Um, are you a senior? You're a senior, right? You guys are? Who else? is? All, all you guys are seniors? Okay. All right. Uh, would, you, would you generally hang out with freshmen? When you're at school, Sarah, get out of here. You're just a nice person, all right? Bethany said, no. She said, no, probably not. <laughs> we need to work on your heart. No, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> just being honest. Like, just be real. Like, for the most part, like, you're not going to find most of the seniors unless you're spiritual Christians, Okay hanging out with the freshmen. It's just not going to happen. You're going to kind of stick together. And usually, uh, you know, you go to lunch or you're in a cafeteria like this, maybe this is a middle school, eighth graders, maybe not going to be hanging out with the sixth graders, right? If you got an eighth grade kid, he's got, you know, a little annoying sixth grade sister that's now in school with him. You think he's going to be eating lunch with her every day? Absolutely not. There's no way. It's not a good look for his image. Okay. It's just not good for him. All right. So that's, that's, it's, it's a class, like they've actually separated us by, you know, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth 10th, and you have, you know, freshman, sophomore, like right? you, you go on up. Uh, it's not a good look necessarily, but it's just an educational term, like class is an educational term, but it's also a, a socioeconomic term as well. In India, there is a caste system, not a class system, but a caste system, which actually determines uh, your family kind of ranking and importance, We're not going to get too far into that, but in Western countries, we actually have less defined classes, but there's definitely terms that we use to define us. We use these terms all the time. You already know, maybe you've already figured it out, but we have lower class, middle class, upper class. And then you have even subsections of those. You have the upper middle class, the lower middle class, and all these different things that we use to define us. And it's just a way to generalize large groups of people into understandable subsets categories. Most of the time people end up finding their way into one of these categories. Just in your life, you probably already kind of know. You're like, yeah, I'm kind of in this one or I'm in that one. But then we end up socializing generally with only people that are also in the same socioeconomic class as us. So it's not just the middle school and the high school thing, y'all. You thought it was over, but it's not. You know it's a real thing when you're at work and you have the little cliques and the job, or, and you have these people that you hang out with in your specific neighborhood that maybe is in a higher or lower level neighborhood, whatever that might be. And we generally kind of hang around people that are like us, right? Does that make sense? here's the deal. You're generally not going to find a millionaire hanging out with the homeless person. Generally. You think Elon Musk is hanging out with the janitors at his new building up there? Probably not, right? Let's just be real. He's probably not. You think that uh, the pizza guy has a shot with Kim Kardashian? Probably not, okay? Like, it's just not going to happen. Well, I mean, she did break up with with Pete Davidson. It is over now. So, and all the students were like, oh my gosh, are we going to talk about that tea right now? No, we're not. We're not. Don't worry about it, guys. So, uh, but the pizza guy is not going to have a shot with her. Why? Because they just are kind of in like a different class and they generally would not associate with one another. You might be feeling a little weird right now, right? Some of y'all are probably feeling a little odd talking about classes and status and all this stuff because maybe you know that you're in one status and maybe you've felt alienated before by another person because of that. Maybe you've been pushed out of a clique before because of that, or maybe you know that you're somebody that you feel really highly about yourself and you've pushed other people out. Here's the deal. What's so amazing about Jesus is that none of these classifications matter one bit to him. None. He has no classification for anything other than believer or somebody who needs to be one. (laughs) That's it. Those are the only classifications that we have. Luke 5, 27 through 32, he says, excuse me. It says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Here's the deal. Tax collectors were looked down upon. Who were they? They were going to be in a class. Nobody really liked them. They were the sellouts. They were people that were kind of shady, kind of shysty, okay? So didn't really like them very much. Levi, uh, follow me, Jesus said to him. Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. So now Jesus is hanging out at the house of the tax collector. Jesus, son of God, Kind of high status by a lot of people's regard. Levi, lower status, sellout, shady dude, okay? A large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them, but Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I love that. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, Isn't that amazing? Jesus didn't care that he was a tax collector. He had no issue with hanging out with the woman at the well. The woman who had had five other husbands and all the other women in her area kind of ostracized her. That's why she was by herself at the well. Normally she would have been with the other women, but they all had their little clique of women who were following the law the right way. Right? And then Jesus goes and hangs out with her and the disciples actually come up to him and they're like, yo, like, why is he hanging out with this woman also by himself, which is, a, which is also something that he probably normally would not have been supposed to be doing. And yet Jesus in that moment doesn't see her for the class that she is defined by, by the labels that the world has put on her, but he sees her as a daughter of God as somebody who needs hope, as somebody who needs love the same way that you and me need hope and love. We need Jesus in our lives. And man, I would be so, so upset if if Jesus looked at me and looked at the amount of money in my bank account or the house that I have or the mistakes that I made and defined me and classified me and put me down. But that's not how Jesus operates. Amen? Jesus doesn't see those things. He just sees you as a son and daughter of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ to Jesus. And now we also get to share in this life that Jesus has to offer for us. Man, that's good news, y'all. This is good stuff. The Pharisees constantly made fun of Jesus for hanging out with people of seemingly lower status than him. But Jesus shows us that status is man-made. And in God's eyes, we're all the same. Listen, Nehemiah, going back to this story now, Why was he such an effective leader? He was a great leader because he got both upper and lower class and middle and everything in between to join together in doing the work of rebuilding the wall. There was no classification in that moment. The religious leaders, the governmental leaders, you can look up in chapter three. I encourage you, read Nehemiah chapter three for yourself the religious and governmental leaders were standing next to the men that had no home. The celebrities of Jerusalem, right? The the big shots, the people who were the most important in that culture were passing lumber maybe to a quiet carpenter or to a tax collector or to just somebody that maybe normally they would never hang out with in, in normal life. But what did they do? They had a God-given vision, a God-given dream, and they decided it was more important to come together to work toward the common goal than it was for us to divide ourselves over silly little stupid things that God doesn't even care about. And yet that's what we do, right? We do it all the time. Here's the deal. Everyone pitched in, everyone. I got Pastor Tim, come on back up whenever you can everyone pitched in. Not just the experienced ones either. That's the coolest part of this story. It wasn't just the ones that had the correct license or the certification, like this guy is a contractor, and this guy, you know, he's a framer, or this guy, uh, you know, he does HVAC, all right, like for the Jerusalem, okay? That's not how it worked. It was every single person got together and worked hard to get this thing done. It says there was priests, there was Levites, which were worship leaders, there were perfumes makers? That's random. Okay, the goldsmiths? I don't know why they mentioned that. And it's like, there's priests, worship leaders, there's a Levites, and there's another priest, and this worship leader, there's the goldsmith. And then the perfume maker got involved as well. It's like, what is this? Like, stand-up comedy in the Bible? Like, why'd you mention them of all the people? Anyway, so they all became construction workers now. Everybody had a hammer. Everybody had nails. Everybody was given every tool that they needed to succeed and to work toward the common goal. Listen, God's people came together and unified around one goal, which is to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And they saw incredible success, amazing success. So my question for you today is, we're gonna get into a little application. I want you to take this away as you go throughout this week. What if the local church would unify around one goal, Simply to build the kingdom of God. And here's the deal. The goal has already been set. We don't actually set the goalpost. We don't set what makes the touchdown. Football is back. Amen. Come on now. We don't set that. But God sets that. Jesus set that when he gave us the great commission. What did he say? He said, go into all the world baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. But then the promise he gives right after is what helps us to do that. He says, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus is with you. He is with us. He has set the goal for us as a church. The Bible says that Jesus builds his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Listen, y'all, what if we as a church would unify around the goal to see all of Hayes County saved, healed, delivered, and set free? Come on, this is good news, guys. This is good stuff. What if we would get together and say, you know what? I'm going to put aside all of my classifications. I'm going to put aside all of my biases. I don't care about race. I don't care about socioeconomic status. I don't care if you are old. I don't care if you are young. I don't care if you are Democrat. I don't care if you're Republican. I don't care what you think. Listen, if we can unify around Jesus and the goal of seeing people saved, healed, delivered, and set free, that should be enough. That's the goal. That's what we're supposed to do. And yet we divide and we separate and we have denominations and all of this other stuff. And listen, some of that stuff is understandable, but some of it is just absolute hogwash, okay? That's the, I don't, I've never said hogwash in my entire life. It's a good word. It worked. It worked? All right, we'll go with it. (laughs) Listen, you're not a lower class, blue-collar garbage man. You're a kingdom builder. You're not a middle-class, stay-at-home soccer mom with an essential oils business on the side. You are a kingdom builder. (laughs) You're not a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. You're a kingdom builder. And that's what matters. Would everybody just stand up in this place today? I just want us to see that, that this is, it is possible. To have a community of people that put aside all of those things that are just so silly for the greater goal, which is to go after Jesus and to go after the lost. God wants to use your gifts and abilities. That's why we're called the body of Christ, right? There's a whole thing in 1 Corinthians, look it up. It's all about the body of Christ and how we are all useful. Is the eye any more useful than a thumb, or is a foot any more useful than a hand? The head might look important, but but what about the knees? I mean, like, what about all those different things? And we're all different, and we all look different, and we all have different ways of thinking about things and different status by the world standards. But listen, it is, means nothing to God. God says He doesn't look at outward appearance, but God looks where at the heart. So we gotta get our hearts right before God, amen? Get our hearts right before man and say, listen, you know what? You might you might be tatted up with piercings and like all black clothing or whatever. And it's like, you look a certain way. And so I, gener- I, I automatically think that you're gonna be a certain way. But listen, like that might have nothing to do with who they are as an individual, right? God doesn't look at any of that. You might look super clean cut today. You might have a nice tie on. You think God cares about that? I'm sorry. He doesn't. He cares about your heart. And we should care about that too. Amen. He wants you to be in community with others who have the same goal, which is to build the kingdom of God. So here's the application. We are in this season of growth right now. There's a lot of new faces, a lot of new people. One of the things I don't want to see is new people come in the door I didn't even think about this. This is very interesting. Thank you, Lord, here we go. The people who have been here a while, you know this happens. You already know where I'm going, some of y'all. The people that have been here a while, maybe been here since the beginning, what do we do? Right? And then all the new people that come in the door, they're like, where do I fit in, right? I've felt that before. I've gone to a church before and I'm just like, they already have all their defined groups And it's kind of hard. Like, I feel like I'm having to break into that. We shouldn't have that. It's natural because it's human nature to do that. But a lot of the things that we see that God does, it it goes against our human nature, right? It goes against all of our natural thinking that you could build an entire wall in 52 days across an entire massive city. But, But with God, it's possible. With everybody working together, it's possible. So listen, I don't want that to happen. But also, I don't want people to come in and I just, I don't want you to, to hold back either and maybe say, you know what, like, oh, I see some of this stuff and, or I don't really know how to get involved or how do I meet new people and this, that, and the other. I want to make it very, very easy and very plain for you to be able to get into community with other people here that are Christ followers, that can lift you up, that can build you up. Man, there's people here that have been Christians for 40 or 50 years. And they they are very mature in their faith. And there's a lot of people that got saved here at Radical Church in the last, you know, almost two years now. And they're very young in their faith. Listen, there's people that you can look to and look up to and lean on and ask for advice and study the Bible with and they should be able to pour into you. But listen, you both have to be willing as individuals to say, I'm going to stand next to you and you're going to stand next to me. It doesn't matter that you know more than me, but we're all in this together. We're all just going towards Jesus. We're all going the same direction. So we need to be in community. Here's the deal. Here's my shameless, twice a year plug for groups. Ready? Here we go. You need to be in a rad group. You need to be it. And Michelle said amen from the back because she leads our rad groups. (laughs) You need to be in a group. You need to be in community. You need to go out to lunch with somebody after service today. You need that. And I know you might think that you can do life on your own and that you don't need these people around you and maybe it's weird, maybe you're an introvert. Listen, there's no introverts and extroverts in the kingdom of God. Sorry. That's also a label that we put on ourselves. Like we need each other. If you're an introvert, find some extrovert that will talk your ear off at the lunch and you could just sit there and say, yeah, uh uh-huh. And you'll probably be in heaven, right? Because you don't actually have to think of anything to say. (laughs) I need you to get into a group, okay? And it's not just because I want you to. Tim, stop laughing at me, Pastor Tim. My goodness. That is how we met. That's so true. (laughs) There's group leader applications that I need some of y'all to step up and fill out today. It's on the church center app. It's on our website, fill it out, okay? But many of you just need to make a commitment. Hey, we're about to open up the groups. Is it next week, Michelle? We're opening up the groups. Oh, the 28th, excuse me. The 28th is when we're having our training. It's Sunday after church. And then we're opening up the directory that you can join a group. It doesn't have to be anything other than just like, hey, just try it out. Like just see what happens like you could come here for six months and never make any friends and never get in a group or never sign up to serve on the rad team, which is honestly the best way to really get to, there is no, we were talking about it this morning, weren't we? The best way to get to know each other is in 105 degree heat today at when we were putting the stuff on the trailer, right? that's, The best way to get to know some dudes is to do that or to drink coffee in the morning together or to get on the worship team or to serve over in kids and just have a blast with your co-teacher that's with you in that day. Like that's the best way to get to know each other is serving God together, right? Just find a way to get involved. But I need some of you to make a commitment that you're not going to let yourself slip through the cracks, we're gonna do everything we can to get you connected to other people in this church that are gonna lift you up and to help you through your darkest times that are gonna be there also to celebrate with you in the great times. And we need that, right? I want that. And I have that. I have that with a lot of these people here. And if you're in this place and you feel lonely, you feel like you've been running life by yourself or you just haven't found a church home yet, this message is for you and today was for you. And I hope that you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you and say, hey, you know what? I want to be involved in a group. I want to be involved in something bigger than myself. I need to get around other Christ followers that can build me up and help me in my walk with Jesus. Also, it applies to this building project, right? Like we had the perfume makers and the goldsmiths and and all these other people that we're building together. Listen, we are building the house of God together right now. Not just you giving financially, you know, not just you writing a check or, or giving online or through the church center app, anything like that. Like that's not the only way that we build the church, but also like we had a demo day last week or two weeks ago, and we were literally knocking out walls together. It was so much fun. I felt like I was on HGTV. It was great. And so we're knocking out walls and we're about to put up some new walls and and we have everybody doing it. I'm not experiencing that. I'm a pastor. I preach the word. Like, I know nothing about construction. Nothing. Okay? You can ask Scott Lansing, who's a member of our church, who is our contractor. I ask him questions constantly. All right? But listen, we need each other. I need Scott and he needs me, I cast the vision, he makes it happen. We all work together, we knock out the walls, we give, we buy the materials, we do this thing together, we build the house of God, and then we have our first service, hopefully before Christmas, and we go to two services real quick, because we won't have any other choice, and then we're gonna have to see God do amazing things, because he's gonna see people healed, saved, set free, delivered, like addictions broken, marriages healed, like all this stuff, and it's all because we decided to work together it's all because we got in community so i just want to pray over each and every one of you and i just want to ask uh for you to consider getting in community when that When those small groups open in two weeks from now that you would sign up, and maybe some of you are feeling like you wanna be a leader today, what I want you to do is I want you to go on the Church Center app, I want you to fill out an application, and you'll get to talk with Michelle and Jeff and and learn all about what that looks like. But I wanna pray that nobody would be lonely, but everybody would have a friend. Because I don't want this church, this is the last thing I'll say. I say this every once in a while, but I don't, having a friendly church is okay. That's great. But I don't want a friendly church. I want a church where everybody has a friend. That's a big difference. Big difference. You can smile. Hey, how you doing? God bless you. Good morning. (laughs) You know, like, what does that do for you over the long term? Nothing. In fact, it could just end up making you feel more isolated because then you just see those people every Sunday and you never see them throughout the week. So I want to pray that we wouldn't be that church, but that we would be unified together together. We wouldn't think about class, status, none of that, but we would look at the heart and we would find people that we can run with, do life with, eat with, encourage each other. Come on, would you bow your heads today in this place? Father God, I pray there are some lonely people out here, Lord. There are some people that have been trying to do this Christian life. They've just been trying to just do life in general by themselves for too long. God, they need some, they need some godly people in their lives. They just need some friends that are going to lift them up, that are going to help them in the hardest of times, that are going to celebrate with them in the good, that's going to be at their kids' ball games, that's going to celebrate when they get the promotion, and then that's going to cry with them and have a shoulder around them when they lose that job or... When their kids aren't following God anymore and the parents are, they're just struggling and they're just crying, they're just like, my son, he's just not even coming to church and he's not following God anymore. like, that parent that's in this place right now just needs somebody that's gonna wrap their arms around him and say, hey, listen, it's all right. Like, I'm with you. We're gonna figure this out. We're gonna pray for your kid. I don't know what situation that all of us are going through right now. Maybe they're just thinking that they don't need it and they feel fine without anybody else. Lord, I pray that you convict their hearts right now. We need each other, Lord. I need godly people in my life. And so I ask right now that this church will be a beacon of hope and a beacon of friendship in this city in Hayes County, that people can come to this church and get plugged in, find people that they can do life with, be encouraged, be equipped, And then go out into their workplace, into their jobs, into their families, into the HEBs and the highways and the byways. Come on. And they're going to be an influence for you. These students that are going to school, they're going to be an influence for you. Why? Because they have other students that are here with them right now that are supporting them as they're starting these clubs together. God, I pray for every individual here that they would not be lonely, they would not be isolated or separated, but that, God, we would be in unity together, that we would put aside all uh, differences, we would put aside all of those things that just don't matter to you at all so that we can focus on building the kingdom of God together. It's in your name we pray. Everybody said amen. 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 Would you put your hands together for Jesus today? (laughs) God is good. Come on. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, like I said, man, we want to connect with you. I do see a lot of new faces and I'm glad that you were here today. It was, of course, a great message for you. Fill out that connect card, drop it off in the back. If you want to give today, you can do that at the back as well. But aside from that, hey, we love you guys. We'll see you next week, all right?